everybody. It's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, June 23rd, 2019. I was not expecting to see Phyllis again on my screen so soon. I assumed that it was going to be weeks for YNR to transition the character away from Gina Tognoni and into Michelle Stafford, but there she was on Monday, Michelle Stafford as Phyllis in her full glory, looking darn good, I must say. I was impressed. The face was looking good, hair looking good, body definitely looking good. She looked good. <laughs> she was in rare form, too, in all her Phyllisness. <laughs> I was reminded instantly of exactly how Michelle Stafford plays this role, and I was delighted, I must say. She was there in Vegas at first on Monday, asking questions of Riza, that mystery woman in Las Vegas, who we learned this week was essentially a bookie for Adam. She was booking him these gambling gigs when he was doing that professionally for all of those years. Now, the thing that I didn't realize when I was recording last week's YNR chat was that Phyllis never saw Kevin's face. So she didn't know that Kevin was the one who kidnapped her. Naturally, she just assumed that it was Adam. You know, Adam, her fellow human porcupine. <laughs> Was that the greatest description of Phyllis and Adam ever? They're like two human porcupines. That came from Michael when he was commenting on Kevin's misconception that Phyllis and Adam would have been dating. <laughs> I thought that was just a really great little assessment. Adam and Phyllis could never date. It's just too spiky. It's too much spikes. I don't know. That sounds almost like a challenge to me. Do you think Adam and Phyllis will end up hooking up eventually? I think that Y&R, either way, is about to become the Adam and Phyllis show. So I hope you like Adam and Phyllis, because <laughs> you know those are going to be our two major front burner characters who are pushing forward, steaming forward with the action week after week. Admittedly, I am hoping that Y&R finds a way to give us some balance there. I like Adam, I like Phyllis, but I'm going to need it in smaller doses. If Y&R starts to oversaturate us with Phyllis, the way they've done in the past and the way they're doing with Adam right now, it's going to be a little bit of a turnoff. But right now, I'm really liking this Phyllis again. I was surprisingly happy to see her there. She then showed up again at Adam's house on Friday, very, very confident of herself. She was threatening to scream if Adam even touched her. Because, again, she still thinks he's the one that had her kidnapped. But now she's got a little bit of information on him. She just pours herself a glass of wine, stands right there, and sent what looked like an absolute shiver down Adam's spine. 
when she told him that while she was in Vegas, she was able to turn up a little dirt on him, including some sort of secret connection to a chancellor? Huh. What is that all about? Okay, so I'm going to tell you what my first guess is. I believe that Catherine Chancellor is alive. I think that she has been in Las Vegas all of this time, possibly performing as a showgirl. I think I heard that her name was Sugar Sweet Pop Tart. <laughs> She's performing shows nightly. That's where Catherine has been all of this time. She has amnesia, though, so that's why she didn't know or come back to... Oh, oh, they already did that? Okay. (laughs) Never mind, then. Maybe it's not Catherine. I mean, a chancellor. There are only two chancellors that I even can think of. If it's a chancellor, it would have to be either Philip Chancellor III or his son, Chance. Because I don't think it could have anything to do with Chloe. We saw Chloe in the previews for next week, but she's Esther's daughter. She's not a chancellor. I can't think of anybody else who is a bona fide blood chancellor, either than Philip III or Chance. And I don't know why either of them would have any kind of connection to Adam or why that connection would have put such a look of terror on Adam's face. Unless one of those two guys are the mystery person that Adam has been texting with and cohorting with. To everyone but Adam, Phyllis is still missing. Summer has been running around town looking for her mother in between doing shots and taking sips of champagne, that is. Uh, Summer is in some rare form right now. She's doing a lot of partying, but she's also doing a lot of worrying. And I really loved The scene where Summer marches over to Adam and she's sizing him up, trying to question him about Phyllis's whereabouts and if he could have had anything to do with her disappearance. I was sensing a little bit of chemistry there. Is an Adam and Summer pairing something that could maybe be a little hot? Maybe if the Adam and Phyllis porcupine pairing doesn't end up turning out? I don't know. There's just so much potential there. I know Summer's probably busy. (laughs) Especially since she doesn't know where her mom is. Finally, Phyllis did decide to reach out to Summer, sends her a text message to let her know that she is safe. She is just off gathering ammo for her next move against the Genoa City meanies. And Kevin is at the bar when he sees this text message coming through to Summer's phone, and he manages to very sneakily delete that text so Summer doesn't receive that piece of information that her mom is okay. Kevin is in full 
damage control mode right now. It was funny the way he was trying to dodge around Esther so that he doesn't have to answer any of her questions, including the fact that Chloe is still alive. But even far more entertainingly, Michael caught Kevin in that awful, dingy dungeon room. And Michael starts to question Kevin about what he's still doing there. And Kevin starts out by telling Michael that Chloe is still alive. He's been living with her for the last couple of years. And that now Adam had her kidnapped. (laughs) Michael had, I think, probably the best reaction to learning that news that anyone has ever had on a soap ever, Michael essentially said, what? (laughs) Chloe is still alive? No, only one person should be allowed to come back from the dead at a time. (laughs) Yes, Michael. Touche. That is exactly how I feel. (laughs) That was such a self-aware line and such a great moment. Michael assumes then, after learning this, that the reason he's standing in that dark, dingy dungeon room is that this must have been where Adam was holding Chloe, and Kevin is just discovering it. But no, Kevin has to admit to Michael that actually that is where he was keeping his kidnap victim, Phyllis. (laughs) So first, Michael hit the roof. (laughs) His head nearly exploded. And then he calmed down and he agreed to help Kevin, as he always eventually does. Over the years, I think that Michael has just found that sometimes it's just easier to go along and sweep up after Kevin and whatever crazy thing he's gotten himself into rather than trying to fight it (laughs) or trying to change it. So that's what Michael does. He even very smartly wipes off the doorknobs on that dingy dungeon room to make sure there's no fingerprints of Kevin's or his. It was something that Kevin didn't think of. So that action is showing that Michael is making a decision to go along to protect his brother. I really thought that that scene inside of the dark room was great. I had forgotten how much I really enjoy that dynamic between Michael and his brother. It's a very big brother, little brother type of dynamic. Kevin has, since the first day he walked into Michael's life in Genoa City, he has always been getting himself into some kind of jam and Michael gets enraged by it. And I do mean enraged. He was livid. But then Michael ends up realizing that he's just better off trying to help Kevin get out of it. And Michael ends up becoming this straight man kind of um, conscientious participant in the craziness, but while still in the background rolling his eyes and just cleaning up the mess. I just identify with Michael as the the, the straight arrow in, in the situation where the family member's creating the craziness and he's just trying to to love them and and help them all the while knowing that it's craziness. There's just something really cool about that dynamic. Well, Kevin, after he talks to Michael, 
And after he's realized that Phyllis has escaped, he goes to talk to Adam because now Kevin wants Adam to release Chloe. That was the deal. Chloe for Phyllis. But Adam just must have been able to sense on Kevin that he was lying about something. Adam forces Kevin to admit that he didn't really let Phyllis go. She kind of sort of escaped And that just gave Adam all the more reason to want to tighten the noose around Kevin's neck even further. And Adam reneges on the deal they had and says, you know what, I'm not going to give up, Chloe, unless you continue to serve me. You know, it it was so icky. There's something so weird about the dynamic that's going on between Adam and Kevin right now, and Kevin just seems to be taking it. If Kevin wants to get Chloe back, then he basically has to serve Adam and some sort of unnamed, unknown purpose for some sort of undetermined amount of time? I mean, what? Into perpetuity? Is he supposed to do this forever? What makes Kevin so sure that Adam will ever give up Chloe? And even if he does, what makes Kevin sure that Adam's not just going to turn around and turn her into the police even after Kevin has done his dirty work? It's not very smart. (laughs) Kevin is entertaining, but he has not really (laughs) proven himself to be much of a mastermind since he's been back in town. In the previews for next week, Adam does come face-to-face with Chloe, so I suppose it's possible that he, he will just make good on his promise and let Chloe go. But Kevin is still keeping good on his promise to continue to be... Adam's lackey, Adam asked Kevin to do a little spying on Victoria this week, trying to get information out of her on what her next move against him will be. As if Adam has anything to worry about when it comes to Victoria. I think that Adam has amply proven at this point that he is the undefeated heavyweight champion of Genoa City. Why is he even seeing Victoria as a blip on his radar screen. He barely sees Nick as a blip on his radar screen. (sighs) Adam has Nick served with those custody papers, the lawsuit papers this week, and Nick is enraged. First he wants to smash, then he goes to Michael and decides to get smart. He hires Michael to help him fight this lawsuit, which Michael is now happy to do, by the way. After learning what Adam has now roped Kevin and therefore him into, Michael was very happy to support and represent Nick. Michael was also very happy to turn Adam down when Adam tried to hire him also to be his attorney to represent him in this custody case. Michael paid a personal visit to Adam's office to let him know that he wasn't going to help him, but also to let Adam know that he wasn't going to let him continue to coerce his brother. I mean, Kevin is getting pushed around right now, 
And Michael said, Kevin might be taking this, but I'm not gonna. It was a great standoff. I really loved every second of that scene between Michael and Adam, especially because Michael was very quick to remind Adam and to remind us, the viewers, that he has not always been so white hat. (laughs) Michael was one of YNR's original bad boys. And if he wants to, he can just go ahead and slip on his black hat, switch it all up, and wreak his own amount of havoc whenever he needs to or feels compelled to. That was great. I want to see those two go head to head. But I think that maybe Michael underestimated Adam just a touch because Adam knows that Michael can't go blowing up Adam's spot without also blowing up Kevin's spot, too. So Adam still has that little bit of leverage over the Baldwin family. And Adam also made this very eerie comment about how everyone has a price. It just seemed extremely ominous, and it makes me have a bad feeling that Adam is about to blackmail Michael and Kevin, or that he's going to somehow be placing Michael between a rock and the hard place. The rock is Kevin, and the hard place is going to be Lauren. I I mean, Michael... I think his loyalties are going to be tested here. I think his sense of right and wrong are going to be tested. He's not telling Lauren anything about this, and she already knows that something's up. I'm sure that the reason he's not confiding in her is to protect her. I'm sure he's thinking that the less she knows, the better, and that's true. But it's still a secret that's being kept between them. And I don't think Lauren is going to be very happy to learn that he's keeping secrets from her. On top of, I'm sure she's not going to be real happy to learn about whatever future bad boy tactics that he's about to unleash. Finally, Sharon gets in the game. (laughs) Nick tells her that Adam has filed a lawsuit for full custody of Christian and Sharon marches over to the tack house with a vigor that I have not seen out of her in ages. I think Adam must really be getting up under her skin because her reaction She seemed like she was going to lose it the way she was laying into him. She was yelling at him. She was waving her arms in the air. She was pacing around the room. She was telling him that she doesn't like what he's doing, that she doesn't like who he's become, and she doesn't understand why it's his instinct to destroy Everyone and everything around him. She has now lost the, the ability to identify with where he's coming from. And Adam's not making no apologies. Not to Sharon. Not to anybody else. So Sharon storms off. And she decides to join Team Ray and Nick. Team good guy, I think. <laughs> uh, uh, so... Nick and Ray are still trying to come up with some kind of dirt 
on Adam that they can use against him in this custody battle, it's really become far less about Dark Horse. Nick seems to not really care about getting that back, but what he wants most of all and singularly is to make sure that he has some kind of ammo to use against Adam in court. So while those two guys talk strategy, Sharon goes off to the coffee house to run her business. And of course, who walks in the door (laughs) wanting a hot black coffee, I'm sure. (laughs) But Adam, of course, of course, Adam is there. I chuckled a little bit when she decided to put his coffee into a to-go cup, (laughs) even though he didn't ask to have it to go. But Sharon is still, even though she just told him that she doesn't understand him and she's seeming like she's going to separate herself from him forever, she still can't stop herself from wanting to talk to him, wanting to listen to his woes. She wants to comfort him. She wants to try to give him advice. Sharon is the biggest sucker If ever there was one, I am sorry. She has a big blow up with him at the tack house, acting like she's done with him forever. And then the next day, she sees him and she asks him how it's going. Adam looked at her and said, uh, well, terrible. Thanks for asking. How, and how is Sharon supposed to resist that? See, I think Sharon is under the incorrect assumption that she is going to change him. Oh, but he's the Prince of Darkness. I can change him. No, you can't. No, you can't. You can't change anybody who doesn't want to change themselves. Change is a personal thing. It has to come from within. If anybody else is helping you change or you're thinking that they're doing the work for you, it's only temporary. If Adam wants to be a better man, whatever that means, then he's going to do it himself. Stop pushing him, Sharon, and and stop asking him how his day is then. Listen, listen, Sharon. Let me tell you, Adam Newman is doing just fine. He has gotten everything that he has wanted ever since the day that he first stepped foot back into town, and then some. He's been in town for, what, a month now? He's got $50 million. He got an entire corporation in Dark Horse. He just got a luxury penthouse this week. How you doing, Adam? Terrible? Thanks for asking. What do we think about Nate selling that penthouse to Adam? I'm a little disappointed about it. It seemed like Neil really wanted Nate to have it. I th- I thought that it was going to create a lot of drama between Devon and Elena and Nate. I thought that the Winters family was going to rule the top of that tower in perpetuity and that that was the direction that the show was headed. But this week, Nate turned around. He sold the penthouse to Adam. 
And in Nate's defense, it was a gift. It was a gift from Neil. Nate is free to do whatever he pleases with that gift. And I'm sure that that's how Neil would feel about it too. But as a viewer, I'm just starting to get a little tired of Adam. Does he have to be everywhere all the time winning everything? It's just too much. And the fact that Adam had to zero in on that particular penthouse, that he had to live there and nowhere else, offering Nate twice the amount of money that it was worth just so he could have it. This is just another example to me of how Adam is focusing on all the wrong things. Yes, I understand. It's the penthouse that he shared with Chelsea. I understand that he has memories of her nursing their son, rocking their son on the steps. I get all of that. There's an emotional attachment to that penthouse. But it's still also just a house. <sighs> like, it's, your, your, your mind is going in the wrong directions. Like, it's the penthouse that you shared with Chelsea, but it's just a house, okay? Christian is your child, but he's not your son. So stop focusing on checking all of the boxes in your life, Adam. All it is, house check, kid check, job check. Is any of that making you happy? Victor was also not happy to find out that Adam is suing Nick for custody of Christian, which is something that he was also doing a year ago, but never mind that. Victor was so angry with Adam about it that he kicked him off the ranch, and that is why Adam had to go house shopping. I can't even hide the fact that I found it extremely hypocritical that Victor was standing there judging Adam, acting like he's never done the exact same thing or worse. (laughs) Adam should have just said, I learned it by watching you, Dad. I learned it by watching you. Because that would be the truth. I don't think that Adam's dirty laundry pile could ever stack up to Victor's even on his worst day. (sighs) But that still did not stop me from crying waterfalls during the t-ball scene. I think that was the first time that I have cried at YNR since Neil's funeral and I was destroyed. (laughs) Nick asking Victor to attend Christian's little t-ball game and the look that Victor got on his face, it just lit up. His face just totally changed. He had all of this worry on him and this weight on his shoulders. And as soon as Nick brought that up, like, you busy? You want to go see this t-ball game? Victor's face just lit up. He was so tickled just to be asked. And And it wasn't motivated on Nick's part by anything other than love and kindness. See, this feels like the difference between Adam and Nick to me. Nick is motivated in this instance by love and kindness, whereas Adam is motivated by getting what he wants. He's far more like Victor, which is again why it's so hypocritical that Victor would be judging him for doing the same things that he has done. But Nick wasn't 
even trying to position himself with Victor, like to try to win Victor over to his side in the custody hearing debacle that's coming. Nick never even mentioned the custody case. Victor didn't even know about it until he learned it from Nikki later. Uh, so that's, I guess that's probably why also the scene in the park with Christian knocking around the ball and <laughs> he w- was trying to hit Nikki and Victor with the bat. <laughs> I felt kind of bad for the actors because uh, they were probably like, hey kid, could you watch the bat? <laughs> The kid's just being a kid, but you're supposed to hit the t-ball, not the actors. (laughs) But it was funny, and it was precious, and Victor seemed so truly happy in that moment. I think maybe, maybe, if, if I could dare to dream, Victor was realizing in that moment what really it is that would make him happy. He searched his entire life for wealth and power. And in the end, as he's kind of in this end of the cycle of life point, which, I mean, you know, say it, say what you will, whether he ends up croaking now or later, there's still way more time behind him than there is ahead of him. Here he is at this particular point in his life cycle, and he's realizing that his whole ruthless life's work, all of the pursuits that Adam is in the middle of right now, it all, it, it, it it's almost like vanished. It doesn't matter at all because the happiness lies in the tiny little moments with this child, this little energetic boy running around. He realizes that that's the key to happiness. That's what it is. And I just thought that was such a beautiful moment. I thought that it created a beautiful moment between Nick and Victor, too, a healing moment. I mean, everybody was smiling. My tears were rolling. And I'm wondering, where was Adam at the t-ball game? Why wasn't Adam there? He just stole Nick's company from him. Surely, he probably got Nick's calendar right along with everything else. You didn't see that Christian had a t-ball game on the calendar? Or why don't you use Kevin or any of your considerable resources to find out what's going on in Christian's life and maybe make a surprise appearance at the t-ball game? But no, he didn't do that. He was too busy focusing all on all of the wrong things, buying the penthouse and, and blackmailing other people. And I mean, it's just, it's insane. <laughs> he, he has no idea what it is that would make him happy. Where was Adam at the t-ball game? That's all I'm saying. This man who seems to want to go on about how he's Christian's father, and he's a great father couldn't be bothered to put any resources toward finding out maybe where his son was going to be and then maybe showing up, even if at a distance. Could YNR have shown us separately a a shot of Adam maybe off in the distance watching the T-ball game so that at least we could get a sense that any of this custody hearing is actually about the child? I am also having such a hard time empathizing with Victoria right now at all. Victor finally got around to offering her the interim 
CEO position at Newman Enterprises, and she was happy as a kid in a candy store. It's pathetic. First of all, how can she be grateful to Victor for being his second, no, third choice child? Mmm, yes please, Daddy. May I have some more of your crumbs? They are delicious. Please tell me that I am worthy. Please tell me that I am smart. Please tell me that I am the chosen one. And second, she was giddy about her promotion, getting it, understanding that she's getting all this power, knowing that it's only happening because Victor is sick. That is sick. She is sick. (laughs) Victoria spent more time this week thinking about Newman Enterprises, celebrating her power at Newman Enterprises, and getting revenge on Adam than she did even focusing on her own father's health crisis. Yuck. (laughs) Yuck. And then the moment she had even one molecule of power, she runs over to Nick's house to try to use it to make up with him for basically giving Adam the money to take Nick's company and his son away from him. And Victoria offers Nick the COO position and tells him that if he will take this job that she's now offering to him, then he his main job at the company <laughs> will be to bring Adam down. Oh, I bet the stockholders and the board of directors would love this. Isn't there a company to run? He, his main job as COO, chief operating officer of a multi-billion dollar company, is to bring Adam down? Do you not need to do some work or something there? <laughs> no? Just full-time revenge on Adam. Okay. Okay. Got it. Victoria has the idea that she wants to use all of Newman Enterprises' considerable resources to basically entrap Adam, to set up a scenario where Adam will do something illegal or immoral, and then Nick can use that info to present it to a judge in court. Uh, I wonder what that's going to be. And I wonder if that is where Chelsea is going to come into play. I wonder if Chelsea is going to be working with Nick to entrap Adam in some way. Because early in the week, Nick had made a phone call to Chelsea to warn her about Adam, thinking that maybe Adam's coming after Christian, he might be coming after Connor next. So maybe Chelsea is going to see it in her best interest to help Nick. Unless, that is, she's working with Adam. Finally, Nikki gave me the reaction that I've been waiting for ever since she found out about Victor's health condition. She's been nothing but strong and supportive, but she has shown absolutely no emotion about it. This man is the love of her life. Nikki and Victor are everything to each other and to me. (laughs) So... When Paul found her sitting at the coffee house in this hundred yard stare 
And he forced her to start talking about what was wrong. I was really relieved because it just never really felt real to me that Nikki would be watching Victor going through all of these checkups and these treatments and then playing with his grandson and that she would not be having an emotional reaction. It just, that it wasn't clicking with me. And Paul was so sweet. What a great guy. I'm so glad to have him back. I loved that scene. The way that he was looking at her when she finally said what she needed to say, finally told him what was going on and unburdened herself. And Paul was looking at her with his sad, empathetic eyes. It just broke my heart because I knew that she was hurting and I knew that he was hurting for her. Especially after he put his foot in his mouth, he was making comments to her before he knew about what a jerk Victor is. And of course, he's coming from a place of knowing that this man is suing him. He's suing the district attorney. He's making it impossible for his wife to even potentially get reelected to her job. Uh, But Paul was able to, after he learned what was going on, put all of that aside. Everything that he thinks and feels about Victor, he just put it to the side so that he could be there to comfort Nikki. I thought it was... uh, It was gorgeous. Would it have been too much to ask to also have Paul in a suit and fedora for that scene too? Abby also came around this week. She came to an understanding about Nate's position as Victor's doctor and why he couldn't talk to her about it when she asked him last week. And Abby explained why she was so adamant about learning what was going on from Victor from Nate, learning what was going on with Victor from Nate in the first place. She kind of talked about where she was coming from. I mean, talk about outsiders. Phyllis and Adam going on and on about them being outsiders. Abby is constantly on the outside looking in, asking to be included, but never really being given the full opportunity. (sighs) And they talked this week, Abby and Nate, about their dads and their families. And it was a little more relaxed, a little more deep than their previous date. They've, I think, moved past the flirting stage and into the getting to know each other stage. I just think that in so many ways, Abby is the anti-Victoria. Abby did try wearing that Victor's favorite child badge for a while when she was working at Newman Enterprises, but she ultimately realized that it is hollow, it is empty, and it is completely meaningless. Completely meaningless. And now Abby is at a point in her life where she is trying to break out on her own, much like Nick tried to do with Dark Horse. I just hope that Adam doesn't get it into his head that now he wants to run a restaurant. Oh, so Kyle is planning the wedding for he and Lola. I love this. I want to see more of this because traditionally... 
the woman is the one who gets more into the wedding planning. But now here comes Kyle, the groomzilla. I've never even heard that term, but I love it. It's totally turning the tables. I like to have my tables turned. It seems as if Kyle is even planning a theme wedding. Well, I think that is very cool. I can tell you though, someone who didn't think it's very cool, Summer. <laughs> Summer's sitting in the background watching all of this going down thinking, uh, he didn't put half as much of the effort into our wedding three months ago as he's putting into this one now. I really think that Kyle feeling trapped, and it was trapped in that marriage to Summer, I think that may has made him extra enthusiastic about the marriage that he always wanted all along to Lola. I mean, think about it. When Kyle said his vows to Summer at their ceremony three months ago, he had written them about Lola. He said something like, you're tattooed on my soul. So he was thinking about marrying Lola even then, even when he was marrying Summer. So this is his opportunity to make that happen now and to make it be magic for them both. I hope it is magic. He's going to have to work around Abby, though. Lola asked Abby, who is also like Miss Trends, Miss Planning. I mean, she runs the restaurant. She she plans events. And Lola asked Abby to be her maid of honor. Abby was ready to start planning immediately. There was a really funny <laughs> wedding planning power struggle scene between Kyle and Abby. Like most people in this town are fighting for control of some company. <laughs> And Kyle and Abby are fighting for control of the wedding planning. And I thought it was pretty darn funny seeing Kyle and Lola digging through the trash at society to find Lola's lost engagement ring. Lola took her ring off at work because she's a chef. She's constantly washing her hands and preparing dishes and things like that. She probably washes her hands a million times a day. And she wanted to take it off and, you know, put it in a safe place. But she didn't really follow through with the idea because she set the ring on a little dish. It got scooped up by a busboy. It traveled all the way around the restaurant, including onto a piece of cake in front of Nate. <laughs> and then it ended up ultimately in the trash. Lola was crushed. When she realized that the ring was gone, this is probably the most expensive piece of jewelry that she has ever owned, would ever allow herself to own. I mean, this coming from the girl who didn't want the expensive purse. She's allowing herself to receive an expensive ring and now she's lost it. She had to have felt so terrible. It's probably nerve wracking for her to even wear a ring that's that expensive and then she accidentally loses it. I really felt for her. 
And I loved how patient Kyle was. Like he even got elbow deep in that trash to try to retrieve the ring, even though he could probably just go out and afford to buy another one. But he helped her get her ring back. I was so grossed out though by the fact that when they found it, <laughs> they started kissing each other. Ew! They were both covered in half-eaten food. I am sorry, but there is no one on earth, and I do mean no one, there is no amount of romance, nothing that would ever make me want to kiss somebody when we were both covered in slobbery old fish and Brussels sprouts. I am happy that Jack was able to reach out to someone who can identify with what he's going through with Dina and her Alzheimer's disease. This week, Jack met the woman whose father is staying in the room next door to Dina at the care facility, and they recognized each other from bumping into the halls and uh, decided to spend a little more time together. Jack and Mallory is her name. They had dinner with Lauren and Michael, and then Jack brought her to the society stage dedication. I think it's wonderful um, whether this turns out to be a romantic connection or not. Um, I just think it's helpful for Jack to have somebody to talk to who is standing in the same shoes that he's standing in. And he had that opportunity a few weeks ago to call Claire, you remember the woman that Lauren tried to set him up with? Like, he had a point where he could have called her. He had somebody that he could have reached out to, and he didn't take it. But I'm thinking that maybe this woman, Mallory, will be different, because maybe she's someone who can become a friend to him, and it's someone who also he found on his own. He's able to maybe hopefully connect with someone who he was able to meet on his own time in his own terms. My interest in Tracy's novel is waning a bit, I have to admit. It feels like, though, the reason is YNR is waiting too many days in between showing me those scenes. So it's hard for me to keep track of all of the characters and to remember everyone's name. I wish that YNR would just have edited it, those black and white scenes, closer together so I could keep track of it all. But I mean, I still enjoyed seeing beautiful Lily again this week. And my favorite part of the whole thing was Paul this week. Paul as a dirty cop. Can you even imagine? And was his name Carl? Carl was Paul's father's name. I could have sworn he said his name was Carl. I liked seeing Paul chewing on that cigar and having a different more gritty air about him. I gotta say, Paul looked really sexy in the fedora and suit. I don't know why guys ever stopped wearing suits and fedoras. Every man looks 10 times hotter wearing a suit and a fedora. 
Or maybe that's just me. <laughs> because I am so crushing on Kane in those black and whites. I mean, he is sexy anyway. And then put him in the suit and the fedora. I screenshotted a photo of him this week. He was at the society uh, dedication sitting at the dinner table with Tracy and he was holding this glass of brandy or something and he was just looking extra sexy, better than ever. He had one of his eyebrows kind of raised and he was just looking into the camera just so. And I thought, well, who the hell could blame Tracy for having the hots for him? I'm drooling over a one-dimensional picture of him on my screen. Can you even imagine what it is like to actually stand next to that man? <laughs> I can't. I mean, I I bet he smells so good. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> I don't know what Lily is thinking. Well, he's he's not a good husband. He has not been a good husband, but he would be really good at other things. <laughs> okay, Kane and Lily did interact a little bit this week. Um, he was hoping that she was going to show up at the society stage dedication, but at first she said she was busy and she couldn't make it to the party. So Kane goes to Tracy and asks Tracy to be his date. To the party. Sorta. I mean, it's not really a date, is it? I think that Kane had good intentions, but he told her that he wanted to take her to the party. He, he called it a date, but also said that she would fit right in because she has just such a great disposition and she always makes everybody feel better and it might be a sad night and we could use a little bit of Tracy cheer and all of that is true but let's not call it a date okay Kane because Kane you're being oblivious to the fact that Tracy is crushing on you so hard at this point check your shoes her drool is on it He was very attentive to her at the party, though. Lily ended up showing up, and I wonder if Kane would have asked Tracy to come to that party if he would have known that Lily was going to be there. I don't know. Kane and Lily really didn't even talk all that much. Everything they said was light and brief. And when it was clear that Lily was not putting out any affectionate vibes toward Kane. He left her alone. He was going to leave her be. And he went back to Tracy, who was standing out in the alleyway, needing to take a moment just to pull herself together from Kane's hotness. Okay, I understand. And I'm all for Kane and Tracy still. I just don't want to see him leading her on or treating her like second choice, which is what we're seeing uh, in playing out in Tracy's novel in some ways. I just don't want her to get her hopes up if nothing's going to happen. I mean, I just think at this point, Tracy's novel is her way of work, has become her way of working through the potential ways that her relationship with Kane could could end. I mean, I don't know. I, th I think Tracy is aware of what's going on. 
She knows that she's crushing on him. She acts like a schoolgirl. Anytime she's around him, anytime his name comes up, she got really awkward when Jack was asking her about being there with Kane. Like, she has to practically stop herself from giggling and twirling her hair and, like, having a moment, even at the mention of his name. Whereas Velma, her fictional version of herself at this point, has kind of represented her more confident side. Velma's the woman who could tell a man like Kane that she wants him and then just go ahead and take it. I kind of at this point wish that Tracy would just go ahead and take it. I want to... <laughs> I want to see Tracy just smack those buns one day. (laughs) Just give those buns a cute little quick little snappy smack. And if he doesn't like it or it doesn't go well, (laughs) then Tracy could just pretend that she's really into sports and she was just giving him a playful spank on the butt, you know, to build up team spirit. Go team. Well, I tell you, that Tessa has really grown on me. I, I think the actress has grown so much, and the character is in a much, much better place at this point than she was a year ago. I'm glad I can enjoy her now. She is so talented, and Tessa is so humble about that talent. So that's what makes me want to root for her. That's what makes me want her career to succeed. This week, Mariah wakes up from a dead sleep with a eureka moment of realizing that she wants to create a music video for Tessa, something that features Tessa in her natural habitat um, at the coffee house, playing in the park, um, or just jamming at home on their sleepaway couch. And Mariah wants to then post it to social media so that Tessa's fans can see what she's really like, what it's like to be her and uh, maybe connect with her on a more human level. I think that it's working also to show the audience what the character of Tessa is really like beyond the schemey schemer that we were seeing a year ago. I've enjoyed it. Surprisingly, I think her songs are really beautiful too. I bet this has been great for Kate Fairbanks's career because she is reaching a very broad audience with her music right now that probably wouldn't have come into contact with her music otherwise. I also really did enjoy Jet and Anna's duet this week at the Society Stage dedication. I thought it was a fun song choice. Apparently she's got style, she's got class, and she is on another level. (laughs) I don't know, it was fun. They were like bebopping around the stage, doing their moves, singing each other. I don't know, I liked it. And that's surprising coming from me. I am wondering how you guys are feeling about these musical interludes on the show this week. We've had a lot of them. Uh, And I wonder if you're thinking that it's a little bit too much. Is it just right? Could you use more of it? So I thought, well, why don't we make that our poll question for the week? How are you liking our live 
musical performances on the show. Do you think YNR needs more of this? Do you think they need less of this? Or are they doing it just right? YRChat.com is the website if you'd like to cast your vote and weigh in. And I'm interested to see how you guys are feeling about this uh, how, and how when, how good of a job YNR is doing it and blending it in also with the story aspects of the show. Devon had a lot of pressure on him this week. He was in charge of his idea that he wanted to bring to life of dedicating the stage at Society in Neil's honor. Devon hosted the event. He had a special plaque made. He gave a speech. He was there talking to donors who are interested in giving money to the Abbott Winters Foundation, who has just created a brand new program specifically for musicians to help them battle their addictions. I thought this is so wonderful. What a great blend of two interests that we know were very close to Neil's heart, music and drug and alcohol recovery. Someone at the party called it a living tribute to Neil. And I thought that is so true. This is something that Neil would have been passionate about. He would have loved. And it's a way that that spirit of his would live on through, uh, through people. You know, it's, it's more than a plaque, more than a stage. What was being described that was going on in the Abbott Winters Foundation just felt like it was beyond that. It was next level. I think Neil would have loved it. I think Christoph St. John would have loved it. But Devon also has to go through this process of reopening wounds to get there. He's reopening wounds that he's trying to heal. And not just since Neil's death, but since Hillary's death too. So we saw him very edgy this week. First, Devon was very upset with Nate for selling that penthouse. Nate justified it by saying that Adam had offered him twice what the penthouse was worth and Nate was going to use the extra funds to donate to the hospital. And in that way, it would be saving lives. So, So that was where Nate was coming from. His heart was in the right place. But... I think that Devon probably would have easily been happy to pay double for that penthouse too. It's sad that he didn't get the chance, but I also understand that YNR was doing it for the drama. Can we talk for just a second about that penthouse and the chain of ownership on that penthouse? Because I believe that penthouse that Adam just bought was supposedly originally Victor's. I think that I remember in the 90s, Victor was living at the penthouse when he left Nikki and the rat ranch. Um, I even think that Victor was living at that penthouse with Hope for a while when he brought her back from Kansas and probably little Adam lived there too, or at the very least Hope was pregnant with little Adam. Um, But the thing that throws me off about this penthouse is I remember from the 90s that the front door to Victor's penthouse was on the right side of the screen, which is kind of more what Devon's penthouse looks like. But Victor 
when Adam came onto the show, um, a few years after Adam came onto the show, Victor gave that penthouse to Adam. He said, here's my penthouse, Adam. You can have it. So that's how I know that Adam's penthouse is supposed to be the one that used to be Victor's, but Devon's penthouse is the one that looks more like Victor's. I know. I'm just splitting hairs. (laughs) But when Adam died... He left the penthouse. It became to, it became Chelsea's, and Chelsea and Nick lived there for a while. But then Chelsea decided to sell it. She had that whole bidding war where Jack wanted it. I think somebody else wanted it, but Neil ended up buying it, and then Neil left it to Nate. Nate sold it back to Adam. I don't know why I just felt the need to clarify that, or maybe you have a different memory of it. I can see why Devon wanted to buy it, though. I can see no, I can see why he's not happy about uh, someone else living there, not just that it's Adam. I think that Devon feels that little by little, the evidence of Neil's life is vanishing away, and the fact that now that penthouse is owned by someone else, it just reinforces that. I think Devon right now is feeling... <sighs> depressed. He is feeling stressed and he's taking it out on Anna a little bit right now. Last week's poll question, I asked you, what's your opinion of Anna? You like her? Do you not like her? 60% of you gave Anna a thumbs down with 40% of you giving her a thumbs up. It's, it's tough But I really wanted to make everybody choose. (laughs) I didn't leave any gray area on Anna because I just wanted to know people's gut reaction of what you feel about this character and if she's connecting with you. I wonder if some of that negative opinion will find a way to sway this week now that she is in more of an underdog position and it seems like maybe YNR is trying to focus on her as being something other than just a one-dimensional grumpy person. (laughs) Devon was not happy with Anna and that music video that she decided to produce of Tessa's. Now, Devon brought someone in to manage Anna, or he's threatening to bring someone in to manage her. And in fairness to Devon, I have to say, Anna did almost lose Tessa as an artist on their label. And now she's kind of painted herself into a position where she has to say yes to every one of Mariah's ideas, or else she's going to be seen as uncooperative. So... I can't entirely blame Devon for wanting to bring someone in to help train her. She really didn't have a whole lot of experience to begin with. She got the position because it's his sister. I just think he's picked the wrong time and the wrong way to approach it. Anna was totally offended, as if she was unprofessional. And they're fighting now. So that's not really helping Devon and his attitude and his feeling of well-being. At the very end of Friday's show, Devon had another vision of Hillary. And this time, he was seeing Hillary where it was actually Elena walking through the door. 
And he collapsed in a panic attack. He just starts to grasp his chest and he cannot breathe. Thank goodness that Elena has her medical training. She was able to help calm him down, help give him his medications. And I was wondering, serious question, I'm just curious, does anti-anxiety medication work like that? Like if, if you are having a panic attack, and it, are you able to just take the pill and it calms you down quickly? Or is it something that you have to take every day? Is it possible that Devon had stopped taking his medication? I just, I don't know. I'm curious. I don't really know uh, very much about anti-anxiety medication. But I do know that anxiety and panic attacks happen to a lot of people. And men probably have a harder time admitting it. So this storyline, I think, is showcasing a real-life problem and a real-life solution. I just hope that Devon has another therapy session because I think that's a good way to draw out of him what's going on in his mind. Devon is a very thoughtful person, and he doesn't always express what's really going on in that head. And that's why I think I liked the therapy session so much. But overall, I think this story line has been a great way to put some focus on Devon because it's just not realistic to think that a guy like him who's gone through so much loss and pain in such a short amount of time would just move along as if nothing has happened. And I'm also glad that he has someone like Elena who's there in the house to help him and who we know isn't there just because of his money. The character of Devon has been on The Young and the Restless since 2004. That's 15 years on the show. And I've never been as in love with him as I am right now. When Elena came to his penthouse and she saw those hand-drawn thank you cards from a class of children at Devon's old elementary school thanking him for his donation of like 50 computers to their classroom, my heart melted. What a sweetie. He's such a sweetie. See, that is how you get me to like a character. You tug on my heartstrings and show me that there's something there worth loving. Adam needs to start donating some computers to some classrooms or rescuing some kittens or something soon. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> I just want to snuggle up with Devon in his probably huge bed. <laughs> I just want to fall asleep with him in my arms. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm the big spoon in this situation. <laughs> I am holding Devon until he falls asleep because that man needs to be held after everything he's been through. <laughs> I was so disappointed with Elena's reaction last week about the student loans because I wanted her to know that Devon was coming from a good place. And after she talked to Nate, she came to that realization on her own. Devon talked to Mariah. He realized the position that he had put 
her in. And they came back together and they talked it out and all is well. They kissed and made up. But Elena made a very interesting comment while they were talking it out. She says, I don't need to be rescued. And I thought that statement alone is such a stark tonal change from what soap operas used to be, or I mean, what, for that matter, romance novels used to be, or storytelling, I mean, even classic storytelling. There's always a damsel who needed to be rescued. And now, here we are in this modern world, there are no damsels, just women who want to be viewed as an equal partner in the relationship. And I thought that Elena did a wonderful job of explaining that this week. She did a much better job of explaining it than Lola ever did about the purse, but it helps me understand Lola and the situation with the purse even better. I think maybe Elena is just, um, I think she's just more mature and more self-assured than Lola was, for instance. Just don't let it become a recurring theme, though, Elena. I do not want to see this cycle repeating itself over and over, where Devon spends a little money on you or does something that you don't like, and then you just run off. I don't want to see that over and over again. Let this be the end of it. Just be happy with the man. Help him. Support him. He needs you. I think it was two or three weeks ago when Kyle was building that bookshelf for Lola. He was listing all of his skills that he had that were not about bookshelf building. And one of the skills he mentioned was that he can recite all of the lines to Caddyshack. As I have been sitting here recording YNR Chat, I have watched a mole digging holes into my yard and it's been driving me crazy. When I started YNR Chat, this mole had already dug five holes in my yard and now I've watched the sixth one get dug. I just want you to know that as soon as YNR Chat is over, I'm going to be out there with a stick of dynamite. (laughs) I'm going to blow this freaking mole off uh, uh, I will blow up the whole block if I have to. This is It's going to be Allie in Caddyshack. I will blow up the whole block to get rid of this bowl. <laughs> I'm going to have to go in there now. wish I could show you. So I'm going to have to go in there now and smoosh, smoosh all the piles and then lay some grass seed. Ooh, I'm going to get that mole. Unless it's a gopher. It could possibly be a gopher. I don't know. Today is its last day on earth. I can tell you that. <laughs> But there is always tomorrow. Last week, our quote of the week was, there's always tomorrow. Victor Newman said that to Nikki. Uh, He was commenting on how things went at the uh, family meeting, but also, I think, commenting on, in general, his health condition. There's always tomorrow. He hopes so. Well, congratulations. I think that was a hard one. But Keisha, Henry, Ambreen, Sherry, and Justin, you guys all got it right. I really liked this line for the week. It's a a little bit of an excerpt uh, from a a longer line, but it's good. Everybody is the hero of their own story. Don't you think that's true? Everybody's the hero of their own story. Who do you think said that? 
If you think you know, go on over to yrchat.com and leave your guess. If you get it right, I will give you your shout out on next week's YNR Chat. No, it's a bird. Uh, when I start, when I woke up this morning, there were four mole holes, and I was not happy about it. I am I'm out in the yard inspecting these mole holes, trying to figure out what I got to do to get rid of this mole, and now here I am, not six, six holes. Well, I I have become so obsessed, <laughs> Caddyshack style, with this mole hole situation that I did not have a chance to transcribe my voicemails that I received for the week. But I did manage to pull together three pages of notes that came through uh, the website and other text comments. So I'm sorry, I'm still getting my voicemails and everything, of course. I just didn't have a chance to include them on my comments sheet here. But we got a lot of good uh, comments uh, at the website this week, especially about Anna. A lot of people wanted to weigh in on this character. Ambreen says, I like Anna a little less since she turned meaner, but I've always loved her spunk, her voice, and her relationship with Devon. They act like real siblings, and so it's cute and fun to watch. Did you know that Lauren Lott was on American Idol? in 2015 and got to the top 16 her voice is amazing she sings on instagram no i didn't know that she was an american idol star i mean her voice is amazing i definitely did know that maybe that's why i've been enjoying the music on the show i liked the different vibe that she was giving in her duet with jet it's just a little bit different than the music that we usually hear in the background score but wow interesting so we should check out her instagram to hear some more of that valerie says i voted that i do not entirely trust anna I feel as though there's a part of her personality that's being concealed. True, Anna comes off as being strong, powerful, and impactful, at least on the surface. However, I do believe that in the near future, we will see a totally different aspect of her character that has not been exposed. The question is, what or who will be the trigger? Maybe jealousy? Possibly a power struggle situation? We shall see. Maybe Devon's going to be the power struggle situation, Valerie. I don't know. I mean, the fact that she's got her back against the wall a little bit in her business may cause some of those claws to come back out. Keisha says, Anna's too controlling. Before all Mariah and Tess, before even Mariah was Tessa's girlfriend, her views and opinions in regards to Tessa didn't matter to Anna, but now Mariah has power. Anna now has no choice but to play fair. For now, I'm wondering if they're planning on circling back to who was really threatening Mariah. That storyline dropped way too quickly. I don't think it's over. Hmm. Well, Shakona says, good theory. The way that Tessa got rid of that stalker seemed so staged to me. What if Tessa and Anna have been in cahoots way before Mariah came into the picture? For the life of me, I cannot trust Tessa. 
Oh, how funny that I've I've totally turned a corner on Tessa. I'm I'm I have been I'm docile when it comes to her, and it's not because probably as much having to do with the character. It's more so that I feel YNR is now committed to their lesbian storyline. We had like no options for Mariah a year ago. Mariah came out as gay, and Tessa was there screwing her over left and right, and. I just felt like YNR was not doing a good job of building up that relationship and giving us a reason to want them together. And it seems like now they're doubling down on it, which is exactly why I don't think we're going to find out that Anna has anything nefarious up her sleeve toward Mariah. I think we're going to find out that Anna's attracted to Tessa. I think YNR is trying to give us some kind of love triangle there. Uh, I think that YNR had to switch Tessa to be a sweetheart in order to have that storyline with she and Mariah. They couldn't continue to make Tessa stabbing Mariah in the back every time she turned around and have the love story at the same time. I think they've made their choice, but uh, what do I know? Robbie says, I like Anna. So here's the thing. I don't think Anna's done anything wrong. Anna was totally right about changing Tessa's image. The music business is a business before it's anything else. Anna was trying to secure an audience for Tessa. This is what all the big music acts have had to do. Gaga, Katie, Taylor, Miley, Britney, Christina. Once the audience is there, then the, arti- then the artists can slowly try to bring more of their authentic self into their music. The outfit that Anna tried to put Tessa in was questionable for sure, but Tessa did absolutely nothing to sell the look either. Tessa didn't even try to give it a shot. All artists wear weird costumes and outfits from time to time because it works. It gets attention. The talent is what keeps people listening. Anna is for sure a firm producer and knows exactly what she wants, but I don't think this makes Anna a bad person. If anything, it makes her a smart person. Now, if Anna has a personal interest in Tessa, then that's something else entirely. Well, Robbie, dang, that's a good comment. You must know a little something about the the behind-the-scenes music industry because this is a really well-rounded comment that, yeah, that kind of turns me around. Maybe that Anna's not being a dictator. Maybe Anna's just doing her job. Ooh, good. Mary Ann says, I selected that I like Anna, but that could change if the current writers continue on their path with the character. She came on as charming and focused, but she's becoming petty and controlling. Uh, She's an all-business-focused character who's not pleasant to watch. I do think this is one of the moves with this current regime. They are either not invested in this character for the long haul, or they need a roadblock for Tessa and Mariah. Yes! Marianne, I think that's it exactly. And maybe they're making their choice now. Maybe we're starting to see their choice. I feel like YNR didn't know what they were going to do with the Winters family. I feel like if they didn't, I feel like Neil didn't have to leave his penthouse to Nate, for instance. They could have just put that penthouse on the market. That tells me that YNR thought that they were going to build up the Winters family, have Nate living over there next door, and causing drama with the Winters that way, giving him the seat on the board, blah, 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 blah. And then they just pulled out of that. They have totally decided to double down 
on Adam, and he is every single day on our screens. He's everywhere. Now he gets the penthouse because he needs his own place to live. It just seems like maybe the writers don't know where they're going with characters by the time it's hitting our screens. And I think it applies to Anna, too. Maybe they thought they were going one way with her, and then they changed her mind. their minds. I don't know. But I think you make a good point that they either aren't showing us who Anna truly is and giving us a reason to be invested in her, or they're just using her as a roadblock for Mariah and Tessa. I think it's probably the latter. Jamie D says, it seems like Anna has something up. Either she staged the stalker to get Mariah out of the Hamilton Winters Corporation, which backfired, and or she has a fatal attraction to Tessa. She either wants to be with Tessa or make Tessa a doll like Pop Princess, uh, which was her own failed dream. Ooh, She's giving me a wannabe puppet master vibe. I wish YNR would give us a little more of the story each week because these drips and drops are taking too long to get to the point. Amen, Jamie, on those drips and drops. Is everybody feeling this way? Because I was thinking that about Tracy and her story. Can we just, like, focus on some stories instead of just drip drop every week a little bit here and there? Well, speaking of drips and drops that are taking too long to get to the point, Gary left a comment here about Adam. Gary says, nuanced Justin Hartley did not deserve to die and had so much life to live at YNR. This new dark selfish Adam is so played out. A decade ago, <laughs> the new oldies, Josh Griffith and the other guy controlling the show, they're wanting to take us back to the days of Bill Bell and in my opinion, they need a better long-term plan on how to do that over taking popular characters who in their prime acted a certain way and trying to force their persona onto them. Sometimes in honoring the old, you have to move forward. How are Mia and Arturo making out in Miami Beach? Where do they live again? <laughs> By the way, Gary says, I thought of this and I wanted to say it, although it's not perter- pertaining to the topic at hand. In Bill Bell's early days of YNR, although advertised as a new and modern, fast-paced, sexy show, the pacing was slow. I'm thinking that he didn't so much write plots, but created a situation for the characters, and they wallowed in it for years. Rare was the time when something outrageous happened in the plot that occurred to shake things up. I loved it then, but don't think this is how storytelling should be as an option now. Now it now that it's exactly what they're trying to do. Well, okay, I probably did a, a butchered job of reading that. I'm not doing a good job reading today, but I like the essence of your point being that YNR used to be pitifully slow-paced, drip, drop. I mean, storylines would last a year. And it does almost kind of seem like we're trying to return to that, and it's not quite working. Mal Young, in contrast, the last writer, was just boom, 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 plot-driven, plot, 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 plot. And I wish we were finding someplace a little closer to the middle. Um, and, and I also do like your point about how it seems like 
the new writers are just kind of reaching into the past. They're trying to pull back in these old characters that they want to work with who had certain personalities at the time, but it's not exactly jiving with what's going on in the current la- landscape. Or as, you know, in Adam's case, it's like, whoa, this guy, he's regressed he's regressed back years from what his personality used to be. So, uh, yeah, I think YNR could be doing a lot better with Adam, especially since he's so front and center. And I think overall YNR could be doing a lot better in the pacing of the stories. Leslie says they really need to give us something emotional with Adam to make him sympathetic, as Ali said on last week's chat. Even Michael Moody's Adam had that aspect to him. We saw him struggle with keeping the secret that he was the one that hit Delia, only torn because of his love for Connor. I wish they wouldn't have brought him back so vengeful, which is not consistent with the story when he left. The new actor is doing a fantastic job, and I think he can pull off more than the one-dimensional character than they are writing. I am enthusiastic about the acting, Leslie says, but not the writing for Adam. Ooh, Leslie, yeah, that's how I feel. I think every single week that goes by, I love the actor more and hate the character more. (laughs) I love the actor and hate where they're taking the character. It's just, I don't know, something is just not clicking with me there. Although, Shakona says, hey, if everyone hates you from the get-go, and no matter what you do, they will still hate you, then what is the point of changing? Adam has nothing to lose. He stands to gain way more than he has to lose. It makes so much sense that he doesn't care to show people the softer side that is in him. He's darned if he does, and he's darned if he doesn't. That conversation he had with Phyllis after the accident, where he was talking about himself being the villain, where he was kind of embracing it, it made me understand where he was coming from. Why shouldn't he fight for his son and mush self-righteous people who hate him regardless faces in the dirt at the same time? That's the difference between him and Victoria, which is why she will never be Victor's first choice. Adam isn't seeking anyone's approval, and I commend him for that. Yeah, I don't think there's any darn reason why Adam needs to get Nick and Victoria or Victor's approval. I, I mean, he definitely was, he was mostly done with Victor when Justin Hartley had ended the role in our last version of Adam. He was mostly done with Victor, but he was somewhat warm toward Nick and Victoria. But I agree, they were hostile toward him right when he first came back into town. He owes them nothing. As you said, he he has nothing to lose. He, he, He owes them nothing. But at the same time, what does he owe to himself, I guess is where I'm thinking of it from. Um, I mean, from a character perspective, of course, it's more interesting to see someone who is troubled. But in reality, I just keep thinking, well, being a better version of yourself is its own reward to yourself. And Adam doesn't seem to be very interested in that at all. Um, he just seems to be interested in what he can acquire. And I want so badly to not think that 
every day I see Adam and as I said, I'm like, this actor is really good. I see the subtleties in his performance and I think there's so much potential there. I just darn it wish that they would give us a little something more. It's not, as Shakona says, that I need him to show some more sensitivity toward Nick or Victoria or Victor. I don't need that. I don't care. He owes them nothing. What I need is for him to show a little bit more sensitivity to the audience. I need him to show me that he cares about something other than winning. And, I, and that's a writing flaw. <sighs> well, on the topic of Adam and Phyllis, we have our new Phyllis, which is the old Phyllis. <laughs> um, Sandra says that the new Nina Reeves, which is the character Michelle Stafford was playing on General Hospital, also made her debut on Monday on General Hospital. Same exact day as Michelle Stafford made her debut back on YNR. Coincidence, Sandra says. Ooh, I'm so glad that you said that. I love knowing that there's a little bit of soap symbiosis going on. Maybe that was even a rivalry thing. Didn't Josh Griffith also write for General Hospital? I think it's a conspiracy. They're they're all one one big writing team, aren't they? <laughs> they're probably not even separate. They're totally interconnected. The actors bounce from one soap to the next. The writers bounce from one soap to the It's just one industry called soap opera, and they all just rotate around. So I have no doubt in my mind that they planned that. And I will say, um, I don't watch General Hospital, but I know that Cynthia Watros, who played Kelly on The Young and the Restless, took over for Michelle Stafford on General Hospital, and I bet she's going to be great. I always really liked that actress. I, she even kind of has the Michelle Stafford vibe about her. Um, I got to say, though, I am really excited about this Michelle Stafford vibe, way more than I thought I would be. She was, it's just even in her little reactions, when Adam was trying to pretend that he was concerned about her having been held against her will, she just goes, mm, yeah, really? She just has this, um, this vibe about her that I would never want to hang out, I would never ever want to be around her in real life, but it is an interesting delivery for the show. I just hope YNR doesn't overuse it because it can get exhausting pretty quickly. Well, Superplex says, when Phyllis said she uncovered information of some insidious connection between Adam and a chancellor, can anyone tell me if this chancellor is the same man as Devon's father? Okay, Superplex, so Devon's father is Tucker McCall, and he was Catherine's son, but I don't think he was, he wasn't, Catherine and Philip's son. So technically, I don't think Tucker is uh, a chancellor. So that didn't even occur to me. But I don't know. Maybe I'm being too rigid on what it means to be a chancellor. I was just assuming that it was a you know a blood relative of uh, of Philip Chancellor, not necessarily Catherine Chancellor. Well, I don't know. Daisy says this chancellor revelation makes me wonder if it is in fact chance. That back in Las Vegas, he and Adam made a bet to see who could get their family company or who could get the most from their respective families. And whoever attains the most will win a dollar or something insignificant like that from the loser. Adam would be going after money and bonus points, Christian, and Chance would be going after Devon's sanity, then company. And the worst part of that would be that if they do it for no reason, um, then if they consider it a fun bet. Oh, so who owns Chancellor Industries right now? 
Jill, right? Doesn't Jill own Chancellor Industries? Ooh, is there any chance Jill's going to come back at the end of this? Uh, and, uh, yeah. Or what if, since Nate is in the mood to sell stuff, maybe he could sell his shares of Hamilton Winters and open Devon up for something like that. But um, that's an interesting idea that maybe Chance is Adam's gambling buddy. Do we know anything about anybody else coming back onto the show that could give us a clue? I need a clue. Well, here's a real quick way to stop Adam. Lisa says, Kevin should just spill everything to Billy and Nick so that they could collaborate to bring Adam down like they did with JT. Hey, there's an idea, Kevin. Why don't you reach out to, for help to the other people in town who are being feeling like they're terrorized by Adam? Kevin sat there in that conversation between Billy and Victoria Agreeing with them that Adam is a nuisance, but he didn't open up to them, didn't think about asking them to be allies, Billy would be a great ally against Adam. I am telling you, my brain checked out during everything having to do with Delia. I mean, Billy at the graveside this week, and then I'm sure that Adam being at Delia's graveside was probably intended to give us his softer side. And I just wasn't hearing it. I just can't with the whole Delia thing. I mean, not only did we have to go through it at the time, but we went through it again with the, remember, like, Connor got Delia's corneas, ugh. And then I, I mean, and then the whole cover up of, the, and that lasted forever. And then you know everything Adams tr- went went to court, and ugh, good, It's just I'm tired of it. I got enough pain going on IRL. I do not need to be going back down this Delia path. So um, maybe that was intended to tune me into something of Adam's softer side, and I just rejected it. I'm not sure, but I still like Lisa's point that Kevin could so easily team up with Billy and Nick and probably get some dirt to help Nick and his custody case and help everybody here. Leslie says maybe something will happen where Christian needs Adam medically, like a transplant, and Nick lets him go because of that. And then maybe we will see Adam see that the right thing to do is to leave him with Nick and show up at his door, hand him back. It would be a step toward softening Adam. Hmm. I mean, I would say, Leslie, that I can't see Adam giving up his son to Nick, but he did it once. I couldn't believe it then either when he was switching up the paternity test results, giving up his son. But I think Adam is going to have to have a softening, and I think they're using Sharon to facilitate it. I think that Sharon's going to ultimately be the one who's going to, we're supposed to see her turn him around and then it's supposed to turn into romantic fireworks and we're all supposed to go, ooh, ah, Adam and Sharon. (laughs) That's what I think, but who knows? Well, Laura says, Michael is going to hit Adam hard legally as revenge for getting Kevin mixed up in all this bad stuff. I hope so. I'm team Michael there. Sandra says, Adam told Michael to think about being his lawyer instead of Nick's. I got the impression that Adam is going to blackmail Michael into representing him by threatening to expose Kevin's abduction of Phyllis and the fact that Chloe is alive. 
I'm shaking my head so hard right now, Sandra, because I think so too. That line was ominous. It meant something. And I wonder if that is what we're going to see. I don't think Michael's going to end up being able to help Nick. I think that that's exactly what Adam's next move is going to be. Blackmail Michael so that he can't represent Nick. And then who knows what comes after that. I'm sure Nick is going to end up teaming up with Phyllis. Phyllis seems to have some dirt on Adam that would be useful to Nick. I just don't know what Nick has that Phyllis would want in exchange. T. Nicole says, is Michael going to go back to the dark side to help out Kevin? It seems like he will be wrapped up completely in all this shady scheming. This will be a challenge to Michael and Lauren's relationship. I know, that's exactly what it is. That is, you hit it nail on the head. Lauren is not going to be happy with whatever comes next for Michael. Oh, I just don't want to see her turn to Jack in a romantic way. Let him have Mallory. (laughs) Well, Justin says, can you believe that Joshua Morrow is celebrating 25 years of portraying Nicholas Newman? My favorite Nick storyline is him dealing with the death of Cassie. What's yours? Ooh, Mm, favorite Nick storylines. Let's get some of that going this week. Does anybody have any favorite Nick Newman storylines? I remember him being presumed dead in a plane crash one time. That was pretty good. You know what? I also, this is, because this was one of my first storylines with Nick, was when he was accused of, I think it was murdering or beating Matt Clark. He was on trial for the murder of Matt Clark or beating him to death or something. And I can't remember exactly how he got out of it, but I remember how shocking that trial was to me at the time. (laughs) There's lots of good Nick memories. Ooh, sleeping with Sharon, sleeping with Phyllis, sleeping with Chelsea. (laughs) There's so many times where he slept with somebody. They're all fond memories, very close to my heart, Justin. Mary Kay says, another YNR viewer mentioned that Sharon and Ray should open up a private investigating firm. This is a this is a great opportunity to utilize both Ray and Sharon's skills. Just think of all the new exciting storylines that the writers can create for these two. Right now, Sharon is wasting her talents on Adam, which he doesn't deserve. Okay, two things. I love the idea of Ray and Sharon working together, solving little crimes. That's great. Uh, But also, I think Sharon is also trying to reach out to Adam because she's using her training as a social worker or um, a psychologist or whatever exactly her her degree is in. Um, I think that Sharon is reaching out to Adam because she's attracted to him, but I think she also is trying to mask it a little bit with the let me help you, I'm a trained counselor kind of thing. Yeah, maybe she should switch over to being a detective and give up the armchair therapy. Or just make her the town therapist. That would be even better. (laughs) These people need therapy. Sandra says, I am so happy Paul is on screen and in our lives again. The last couple of times we've seen Paul had nothing to do with police business. That's just what I asked for when I took that CBS poll. More Paul, no matter what capacity. 
He's a great friend to Nikki. I was so impressed with his level of compassion toward Nikki, putting aside his dislike of Victor. I played the scene in the park between Nikki and Paul and had the captions on. When Paul asked if it was serious and Nikki's answer on her face, he said, oh, baby, before he pulled her in for a tight hug. I just adore Paul. I think I do remember Paul saying, oh, baby, which is a little bit. Is that a seventh hole? One, two, three, four, five, six. No, I still got six mole holes at the current standing, but one of them has gotten much larger. Um, <laughs> sorry. It makes me a little jealous, though, to think of anybody except for Victor calling Nikki my baby. Well, OK, so technically Paul said, oh, baby, whereas Victor would say my baby. So I guess it's OK. But, you know, I agree with you because I love Paul, too. And like you said, he was getting so mulled with that GCPD role. All he did was gumshoe around town and not solve the most obvious crimes. <laughs> They need a, a little bit more stuffing for Paul to make him a little more compelling. And I think seeing him in the park and seeing him be a friend fits that bill. Laura says, the look in Victor's eyes when he told Adam to pack your bags and get off my property gave me the chills. A split second before, he was an exacerbated father. At that moment... He was the devil's enemy. <laughs> it is a treasured treat when good actors show us their talent. Mm. Pack your bags and get off my property. I knew I could do that better. But a treasured treat when good actors show us their talent. And he sure is. Eric Braden, man, he is good. I love seeing it. Superplex says, this whole Victor is dying business has no credibility and we know that it will be over very quickly. Like Michael's cancer and Nikki's MS. <laughs> I think so too. I am having a hard time getting fully invested in Victor's health crisis when I just don't believe that it's going to be ultimately what takes him down. Leslie says, I think a great twist would be if Victor isn't really sick, but Adam had the tests fixed to show that he is. Oh, well, we know Adam can, can certainly switch some tests. Of course, everybody in town has switched some tests at one point or another. But let me say this. What about if it was Victoria instead? Because Victoria would be the one to have the motive to get Victor out of the way. What if she switched his test results? I think I just need no more bad deeds by Adam for a little while. Can't we destroy someone else's character for a little while? Okay, everybody, that does it for me. I've got a mole to destroy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm going to catch him and pet him and make him, make him my little pet. I'll feed him some banana. Maybe he likes banana. Um, <laughs> I'll bring him inside, let my daughter pet. It's going to be fine. We're going to be friends at the end of all of this. Dynamite. <laughs> Okay, everybody, have a really good week. Go to whyrchat.com to leave your comments, and I will be back next Sunday. I love ya, but don't mess with my yard. Bye!